Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 14 through 20. Yes, we're still in the same passage we started in, and we're going to read it again. Somebody said last night, aren't you beating these seven verses into the ground a little bit, Jared? And I said, no, we'll keep talking about it until you get it. So, um, but what we've been talking about is don't just waste all your arrows taking aim at something that's not worth taking aim at. We've been talking about being intentional this year and actually aiming at the things that God would have you aim at. Have you ever worn yourself out fighting over stuff that was imaginary? You know? Stuff that uh, it either wasn't going to happen anyway or it was going to happen no matter what you do, but you still fight the battle anyway, which is fruitless. And uh, we also learn to not wait until you get discouraged to decide whether or not you're going to continue. In other words, make a decision in advance that once the battle's over, you're still going to be standing. You might be bloody and bruised and your body might be sore, but I'm still going to remain. We also talked about preparation, how we go through plowing seasons where we have to plow hard ground and prepare the ground for the great things that God wants to do in us and through us. And, uh, and then last week, um, we talked about potential. Don't stop short, because there's nothing worse than to remember what would have been, could have been, if we actually followed Jesus when we didn't. Um, and that's kind of why we're frustrated with this young king in this story, King Jehoash. It's because of what could have been. Because we see the potential of this man's unfulfilled life and how he was called to something greater, but he never saw it come to fruition. He never completely destroyed the enemy and completely won the battle because he stopped short. And so this challenges us. And we have a lot to think about today in our, our fourth installment of this series. Um, what I want to let you know today, the main thing, is that God has given you everything that you need for whatever season you're in. And, and uh, we're going to talk about that in depth in a little bit, but the problem is it's not that he hasn't given it to you, it's that sometimes it's a matter of receiving it. And sometimes he says, you need to walk over to the door and open it and get what's on the other side. And you're not walking, you're not working, you're not putting anything into it. And so a lot of times it's about perspective. So I'm going to share two words with you today. The first one is perspective. Because in this story we've been looking at, the king was asked to go over to the window and open it and shoot an arrow toward his victory, right? And here's the first point. Sometimes what you're looking through is just as important as what you're looking at. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove this. I, I, don't, I don't even need the Bible to prove this, but I will get to the Bible in a second. Hey, I didn't tell you I'm going to do this, but I'm going to steal these. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you have problems. <laughs> so, it's okay, we're friends. But um, you looked great before I put these on. And now that I'm looking through these that don't belong to me, you look really strange. And, and I mean, I'm thinking like we need to pray for healing for this guy, like <laughs> restoration of sight to the blind, because I can't even hardly see you right now. But the point is, what we're looking through is so much more significant than what we're looking at. What, what I'm looking at, I see him very clearly. This is my friend Al. But when I put these on, these don't belong to me, but I'm looking through this lens that I'm not supposed to be looking through, and I just see a mess right now. And so <laughs> let me give those back to you. But we do have prayer at the end of the service for your sight. <laughs> um, the second word I want to talk to you about besides perspective, what you're looking through, is provision. Like in Malachi chapter 3 where God challenges His people, He says, hey, if you'll release what's in your hand that you're holding onto so tightly, then I will release what's in my heart to you. And uh, the windows are closed though. And there's, there's things that God asks us to do sometimes before He opens doors for us to walk through. And so this week we're talking about those two words, perspective and provision. And so I want to ask you a question. Is it possible that those two things, perspective and provision, 
are actually one and the same. That they're very connected. And I'll, I'll make a case as we go here, but I'm excited to give you this word today. Um, by the way, my wife and I, we pray together every Sunday morning before this service starts. And when I walk up here to deliver a message to all of you, um, to what I've prepared to share from the Word of God, every single time just about, I get really excited. But there's also times where if I'm being real with you, I also get a little terrified. Because I have this fear of disappointing people. And it's not a fear that I'm meant to have. That's not from God. But I have this fear of letting people down. And I'm scared of, uh, you know, that I'm going to be a disappointment. So like a lot of times, for example, people will listen to some of the sermons before they try our church on iTunes. And they'll think, oh, these are good. I'm going to go try the church. And then they get here. And one of the comments I hear the most often from new people is, man, you're a lot younger than you sound on the podcast. And my response is, well, I'm older than Jesus Christ was when he gave himself up for your sin of judging people. <laughs> so... But I always pray the same thing, and that's what I was really trying to say. I always pray, God, would you give the people today what they need? Because I don't know what you need. I don't have any way to know that, but God knows. He does. And so I say, God, you know what they need, and you speak to them. How many of you know that God can actually speak exactly, specifically to your situation through the same word, and it might be a completely different situation than the person across the aisle? From the front of the room to the back of the room, he has the ability to do that. And so what I pray every Sunday morning is, God, would you just use me to teach your word and speak to these people in a way where they get what they need from it in this very moment. And so I don't usually worry about it as much as I used to. Now, I kind of more just see myself as like the UPS driver. It's my job to drop the package on your doorstep. It's up to you whether you want to actually open the door and bring it in the house. And then if you're actually going to open the package and do something with it, that's a completely other thing altogether. Um, I'm the seed planter. But I always pray that. God, they need something that I don't have, but you have it, so would you give it to them? And I just trust him in that. And, you know, sometimes I feel like one of the disciples where they had 5,000 men, women, and children sitting in front of them, and they needed to feed them, and they had a very meager supply, a limited supply, but they gave it anyway, even though it didn't seem like enough, and God didn't just um, not use it. He multiplied it. And so that's sometimes how I feel, but it's a, it's a, it's a matter of perspective. In other words, provision in your life from God starts with what you have. Even if you have a perspective that it's not enough, it's enough for this season. And it starts with just simply giving what you have. And so Elijah seems to agree with this point. Because this great man of God in this passage, he's dying. And this new king has this one chance left to get what he needs from God through this man's words. So let's pick it up again. We've read it a few times already, but 2 Kings 13, starting in verse 14. It says, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. And remember, that's the thing about when stress comes in your life or pressure comes on you or, or it gets a little more intense. Sometimes those are the moments where it actually calls, requires you to depend on God. And I think that's a tragedy that sometimes we have to be in a place of suffering and, and stress and pressure before we actually come to hear what we need to hear from God. And so I don't know what brought you to church today, but whatever it is that got you to that point to come today, I'm just, I'm just glad you're here. You know, because I even heard from a, a young guy last week, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Jared, the reason I came here today is because I heard that there were uh, pretty girls here. <laughs> it's like, all right, you might get a Valentine and a word from God on the same day, amen. <laughs> he shall supply all my needs according to his glorious riches. That's not a pickup line, by the way, that's a scripture. So it says he went down and he wept over him. And I understand why he's weeping. He's weeping because 
he's losing something that's significant. Elijah was more than a preacher. If you know the story, the prophet Elijah in this time in history actually represented the entire defense system of the nation of Israel. God would speak through this man and he would let this man know where the enemy was going to be and where they were going to attack next. And Elijah would share this with the troops and they would win the battles that way because this prophet got the word from God every time. It was an incredible time in history where a smaller army was winning against bigger battles because they were hearing from God in such an audible way. So much happening. But note that he was speaking the word of God to them so that they could be prepared for the battle. But here's the important part. It did not prevent the attack from happening. It did not prevent the battle from having to happen. It did provide the strength and the faith to withstand the attack, though. And sometimes I think we get confused about the provision of God in our lives because we mistakenly believe that the provision of God means the prevention of problems. And that's how we see it. And, and so when we ask God to provide for us, a lot of us, what we're actually asking Him to do is eliminate our needs altogether. You know, in other words, God, create a life for me that makes you completely unnecessary. And He's not going to do that. He's weeping over what's leaving, what he's losing. And so Elijah is pointing to what's left, though. That's what the man of God's saying. I know you're losing me, but look what you have left. And in every season of life, we have a choice. He says this, watch. My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. So Elijah's about to leave the building, but before he goes, he points to provision. He points to what he needs to shift his perspective toward because some of you, exactly what you need is right in front of you, but you're not seeing it. And so one of the biggest things you need to do is learn to see the provision of God that's right in front of you. Verse 15, Elijah said, get a bow and some arrows. Now, here's an important point about this that I I was thinking about this week. The, The arrows did not magically appear. The bow did not fall from heaven. They were both already right in front of the king, but he wasn't using them. Okay, they didn't just fall out of the sky. They'd been there all along. He's simply instructing this young king to grab that which is already lying in front of him for his use. And then he instructs him, take it in your hands, and he takes it in his hands. Notice that the man of God doesn't even tell the king in this time of trouble to study bows and arrows. He doesn't tell him to study the composition of the arrows or look through a catalog of bows and arrows or even sit around in a group and discuss bows and arrows for hours every week. He actually tells him to pick up the bow and arrow and let one fly to do something with that which he's been given. You know, and I I think a lot of us sometimes when we come to church, we want to learn about all this trivial stuff, which I'm not saying it's not important, but when that's all we want to learn and fill our head with knowledge about some things in the Bible, sometimes it's because we don't actually want to do, do anything with the other stuff, the more practical stuff. And we're supposed to be doers of the word. Do something with the word. Make up your mind in advance when you come in here on Saturday or Sunday that, you know, when I hear the word, I'm going to become a doer of it. I'm not going to just let it pass through one ear and out the other. I'm going to exit this place and and apply it to my life. I'm going to use it. So he picked up the bow and arrows, and then he says, Take the bow and arrow in your hand, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elijah put his hands on the king's hands. Verse 17, Open the east window, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. And then he declared, watch this promise, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. If Paul were writing this, he would say, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. If John were writing this, he would say, this is the victory that overcomes the world. The arrow of victory. It says the Lord's arrow of victory. In other words, God is the source of my supply. God's the source of my strength. 
it's the Lord's arrow of victory, but he puts it in my hand to shoot before the victory happens. He doesn't leave us out of the equation. We're responsible to take some action. And he shot the arrow. But remember, what happens next is tragic because he had the opportunity of a lifetime to completely destroy the enemy, but he missed it. Verse 18, strike the ground, and he struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you only did half of what you could have done. You had more arrows that you didn't lose. use. You left some in the quiver. And so this is where I want to key in today, guys. It is significant that it was not a lack of arrows that caused the king to miss the potential victory. He had everything he needed to win. It was not the lack of weapons. It was his lack of will to continue and to use everything that God had given him. If you would have used every arrow you had, you would have completely defeated this thing, but now you're only going to defeat it three times. Provision. God has given me everything I need for the season that I'm in. And I have a choice to make today and every day. I can weep over what I'm losing, or I can wield the weapons that I have left. And that's a choice. Provision, perspective. The two are connected. Let, let me tell you a story. The other day, I was in my garage, and there was this old beat-up dirty box from something we'd bought, and I was starting to rip it up because I was going to throw it in the trash. <clears throat> and my son walked over and said, No, Dad, look. And he opens it up and walks inside, and he says, It's a house. I just saw a dirty old box. My son saw this beautiful house that he could play in. I was looking at a dirty box. He was looking into the box, and he saw something more. And so here's my premise today, and it's about perspective. Repeat after me. What I see is up to me. And I know that to be true because I see it on a weekly basis around here that somebody with the exact same situation as somebody else sees it through a completely different lens. So what you see really is up to you. Elijah was a seer. And in his life, when he saw something, he spoke. And when he spoke something and he saw something, the needs of the people straight from God actually materialized because of his ability to see and speak. There's a connection between your vision and your victory. Write this down. Your perspective is connected to your provision. You can't have one without the other. But guys, some of you say, well, what's the problem? Well, here's my problem. <laughs> I'll let you in on my weakness. My problem is my brain plays tricks on me, and it doesn't let me see through the right lens. I only see an old box. And, and so here's one of the things that my mind is always noticing. Every time I walk into a room, every, every new situation that I walk into, my mind is always looking for what's wrong. My mind is always looking. I'm always asking myself the question, what am I missing? What am I missing? What am I lacking? What don't I have? What, 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 what isn't present here? What can I not do? My brain is trained to do it. What am I missing? What don't I have? What can't I do? What can't I control in this situation? Now, I do give myself a little credit because some people, they don't even notice needs. They just walk right by them. And I'd rather at least notice them. It amazes me sometimes how some people, they don't even, it's not that they don't notice what needs to be done. It's that they don't even notice the need at all. They, like, like, I see so... It, it's, it's tragic to me how many high school guys I run into who don't see the need to shower every day. And it's not all of them, but the ones who don't, I think it's because they've been doing it so long that they've come to the point where they no longer notice the stench. And that's a pretty good analogy for us spiritually because in our faith journey, in our walk with Jesus, sometimes we're sitting with the same stuff for so long 
that we become to, comfortable to the point where we don't even smell the stench that we're walking in. And it's a perspective thing. It's, uh, you, can get, you can get to the place where you don't even see the needs. You know, sometimes we just don't notice needs, but other times we notice needs, but we don't n- notice the symptoms. It's backwards. And I'm going to teach on this for a minute because in the body, this is called referred pain. So referred pain from a medical standpoint is when it's something going on in your chest, right? But you feel the pain up here, and so you go to get this fixed and treated, but you're not actually treating the real symptom of the problem, which is down here. They call that referred pain. When David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he's also implying that God is the only one who really knows what I need, what I really need. And so guys, when I pray, I used to pray differently. When I pray now, I no longer pray, God, give me what I think I need. I pray, God, give me what you know I need. And it's usually different than what I think I need. And I'm okay with that. I finally reached a point where I'm okay with that. God is the only one who's actually been in my tomorrow, so he's the only one that knows what I need when I actually get there. He's the only one who knows it. And he knows that I need to fight a lion because someday I'm going to fight Goliath, and if I don't fight a lion, then I won't be prepared for the day that I have to fight Goliath. And I don't want him to prevent the fight. I want him to provide me with the faith so that when the fight comes, I can stand strong through it. There's a difference. Some of us just ask him to take away all the problems when sometimes the problems are the very preparation through which he's preparing us for greater and greater things. If I don't fight Goliath, by the way, I can't get his sword. And if I don't get his sword, then his sword won't be in storage when I need it for something greater later. He is my source. Say it. God is my source. Some of you need to say to somebody else, you're not my source. You know, your job's not your source, your boss is not your source, that person is not your source, God is your source. He's your only source. And see, that's hard to do though for a lot of us because there's some things in life that are really nice to have. But if I'm really looking at it through the accurate lens, I don't need them though. There's a lot of things that are nice to have that I don't need. I I love when Amy says this to me. Every once in a while my wife will say, you know, Jared, I, I appreciate I appreciate what you have provided for our family, and, and, and that means a lot to me because I work hard and I try to give her what she needs, and, and always to the best of my ability, I try to take care of my wife. Um, and, you know, we've been through different seasons. To the best of my ability, I said. So there were some seasons where we're, we're both drinking water and sharing an entree every time. And then there's other seasons where it's like, let's go to the depot, right? So there's different seasons. But whether it's water or the depot, the point is, I was always there, and she was always there, but she would, say, she would say, I appreciate it, babe, but I want you to know I don't need it, because it's not the things. It's not the things, and that's true, because I was there even when there weren't any things, and there weren't any things for a long time, <laughs> um, and I was there, uh, she was there when I had an apartment, and she was there when I had to move in with my parents to take my first ministry job, and she was there when we were in the condo, and she's there now. And the point is, it's not what you gave me. Our love is not contingent on these things. Those are nice, but they're not needs. That's the point. And so I wonder, in light of that, have I come to a point in my relationship with God where I really believe, write this down, if he didn't give it, then I must not need it. If he didn't give it, I don't need it. Because my brain tells me differently. My brain tells me, 
Even while I'm preaching this sermon, guys, every week, my brain tells me, no, you're not intelligent enough, you're not articulate enough, that little joke didn't fly well enough, nobody laughed. And, you know, and, 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 because my brain, every Sunday when I'm up here, picks out the, the two people in the room that are sitting hateful staring at me. Every time, 190 of you can be, yeah, preach it, man. And then I pick out the one who's like, who's this guy? And that's where my eyes go every single time. And they're in every room. You're here right now. <laughs> but can you guys do that too? Like you walk into a room and the first, the only, there's all this great thing, there's these great things in the provision of God, but the, the one thing your mind and your eyes go to is the one thing that's hating on you or the one thing that's dragging you down. You know, and you can just notice what's wrong in a minute. Notice who wasn't nice to me in a minute. Always notice what I'm missing, what I lack, what I've lost. Because if I only notice what I lack and what I've lost, guys, then I'm not going to have the strength to use what I have left. And that's the point of this. And, and what God wants to do through my life is not contingent upon what I lack or what I've lost. It's contingent upon what he's still provided for me to use, whatever's left. So he says, get a bow, get some arrows. What you have is what you need. I didn't choose to become a senior pastor as young as I did. I was called into it. And if that was wrong, God should have made me older first. <laughs> so <laughs> one, time I, um, one time I called a guy years ago when we were planting a church, and I thanked him for a contribution that he made to the church. And um, I'll never forget his words because he said to me, Jared, I appreciate you thanking me, but I want you to know that it's not needed. And that shifted a lot of things for me. And because I thought, well, no, I felt like it was needed because this guy wrote a $10,000 check to the church. And in my opinion, when somebody does that, he needs a phone call of thank you from the head man. And so, so he says, hey, yeah, I get it, but I don't need it. I don't need it. And I was thinking about Paul because there's this letter in Philippians 4 where Paul is writing to the Philippian church to thank them for a gift that they've sent him to help cover his legal expenses because he's on trial in Rome and he basically says to them in verse 10 hey I got your gift I was happy about it in fact I rejoiced greatly Philippians 4:10, that you renewed your concern for me at last but I know that you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it now that's important too because what you need to notice here in that verse is Paul's problem actually created their opportunity to be a blessing if Paul didn't have a problem to walk through, there wasn't an opportunity for them to love him and bless him. See, so sometimes, guys, we miss God's provision in our life because it comes to us disguised as a problem. And we don't receive the provision because it's wrapped in a package that looks like a problem, and so we keep sending the, back the gift that God's trying to bestow upon us because it doesn't feel good. For example, sometimes God sends provision into your life in the form of correction. But there's people in this very room that don't, including myself sometimes, that don't like correction. Some of us don't like correction. And, and, you know, and so you've been praying for God to make you better and have you grow as a better man or a better woman, but he didn't do it through somebody telling you how good you are because that's not how he works. He does it through somebody coming to you and lovingly correcting you, but you don't like the way correction feels, so rather than receive correction, which is a gift to take you to where God is calling you to go, you get offended and quit. And that's where a lot of us land when somebody lovingly corrects us, which is a gift from God, not an offense. And so God's provision comes wrapped in strange packages. And so for Paul, he's in prison, and God provides for him through the church, and he's writing back to them, and he says, thank you for the gift. I received it. I appreciate it. It made me happy. 
but I want you to know I don't need it. I just want to throw that in there. Because that's what he says in verse 11. I'm not saying that because I'm in need. For I have learned, and he goes on. This is something you're not born with. You don't know what you need. You're born screaming. The only thing you know is you need to eat and poop. Those are the only things you're born knowing you need. You don't understand the process, but the point is life is the process of God teaching you that He is the one that feeds you. And He's the only one that provides the nourishment that fully restores your soul. And sometimes He'll do it over there, and sometimes He'll do it over here, and sometimes He'll do it through nobody at all, and sometimes He'll do it through this person. But write this down. When God is your source, you will never lack supply. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For your Father knows you need these things. He knows what I need. So Paul says, it's nice, but I don't need it. My wife would say, I appreciate this, babe, but I don't need it. So let me come over here. This is Cindy. So every once in a while when I'm preaching, Cindy will go, amen, right? I want you to know, I appreciate that. It's nice. It gives me the energy to keep preaching, and it it really fills me up. But I also want you to know I don't need it. And what I mean by that is, whether you say amen or not, whether any of you respond to this sermon or not, God's still giving me a word that I'm supposed to share and get out to you, and I'm going to share it even if only two people are going to receive it. And so I appreciate it. It's nice. I love it, but I don't need it. That's the point. It's my calling. It's an assignment. And so this is for all of you who've, who've... been in a position where you felt underappreciated, you have to come to a place in your maturity where you say, you know, it's nice when people thank me, it's nice when people notice me, but God is my rewarder, and God is my source, and God is my supply. I don't need it. It'd be nice to have a date on Valentine's Day, but if I don't, I'm taking myself to pasta. I'll buy my own lobster, right? Because I don't need it. If God didn't give it, I don't need it yet. It's not the right season. But the point is, if it's not in my reach, it's not for this season. It's not for this season. And if he let it go, I will too. Because you know what I found is, the deeper the valley sometimes, the greener the grass. And God will never lead me to a place where he will not feed me, and he will never take me into a situation where he has not already supplied everything I need for that situation. It might just not be the way that I think it should be, but it's always the way that he thinks it should be. And I'd rather have that. So Elijah had the unique ability to go into the same situation that somebody else walked into and saw a shortage, and he sees supply instead. Who is this for today? Because you know who I'm most worried about usually when I'm up here teaching the Word of God? Is this person. I don't have any needs. I don't need anything. Because the very first thing for you to get to the point where God can speak into you and pour into you and grow into you, or for people to, for that matter, is for you to get to the point where you can say, yeah, I do have needs. I'm very needy. And the number one thing I need is God. And He will supply all my needs. Some of us become so dependent on the dysfunctional systems that cannot feed us in any sustainable way that we lose our ability to come before God and say, I need you. And the Word of God says, a broken and a contrite heart He will not despise but the arrogant and the proud, he will cast down. And that's very convicting to me sometimes. In other words, the prerequisite for God's supply sometimes is that you know your need. I need you, God. I need you. Seek first the kingdom and these righteous things. These other things, I don't need them. 
I need this first. So what I've been doing, guys, is I've been switching the question a little bit. What am I missing? Because I could stay there forever. I'm a broken person. There's skills I don't have. There's talents that I do not employ. There's resources I do not have access to. But if I focus on that my whole life, it will feed my fear and starve my faith. And I will not receive what Jesus died to provide for me in full. And so for every needy person in here who's willing to admit their need, let me give you a better question. Instead of asking the question every time you walk into a new situation saying, what do I need? What am I missing? Ask this. What am I missing? See, there's a difference. What am I not seeing? What is it that God has actually put in front of me that's a gift, that's a weapon? What are the weapons that are within my reach that I am not seeing? Provision. And I'm telling you, if you embrace this biblical principle, you will have freedom. And if not, there will be chains around you because you've been so stuck in what was, weeping at the feet of Elisha, he's gone now. And you've been so stuck in what's not, what you don't have, what you can't do. Guys, if I made a list of everything I can't do and everything I'm bad at, there would not be a rise church. And a lot of us in this room could say those same words. I'm serious. And the devil's going to attack me for preaching like this because I'm opening up and sharing what's inside and there's so much and I wish I could spend a bunch more time today just talking about my weaknesses and I could. There are so many weaknesses that I have, but the difference is I'm not going to let my weaknesses prevent me from using the weapons that I still have. That's the difference. In other words, I got an arrow, and before I leave this earth, I want to use every last arrow in my quiver. I don't want to leave anything on the battlefield. Let's switch gears for a few minutes. New Testament. There's this time where Peter and John are going to church. It's in Acts chapter 3. And along the way to church, they see a beggar uh, at the gate called Beautiful, and he's asking them for alms. He was asking them for spare change. How many of you know that God doesn't always give you the kind of change you ask for? Sometimes it's very different. But see, that's because God knows the need beneath the need beneath the need, where sometimes we only know the need. But he knows way more than we do. So this man's been lame since birth. He's never been able to walk. He's doing the best he can. And he's in the only place that he thinks he can get any form of provision or assistance. And then these two guys walk by, Peter and John, and he somehow thinks that they might be the two guys that have the ability to help him and the willingness to help him. And so he asks them boldly, and in fact, in verse 2, Acts 3, verse 2, he sees Peter and John going up to the temple. Verse 3, as he's sitting there, he sees. you got a perspective, guys. you got to see. He sees Peter and John. He sees possible provision. I saw the dirty old box. My son saw a playhouse. Maybe that's why we're supposed to have faith like a child. Some of us just lose that and then we go downhill. So he sees Peter coming and he basically says, hook a brother up. And Peter said, okay, I got good news and bad news. The good news is I see you. I'm here. I see you. Look at it. It says that not only did the man see Peter and John, but it says Peter looked straight at him. So he sees him. I wonder when I read that story, how many people had passed him by, had stepped over him, had completely ignored him on the way to church. I mean, we all get in a hurry. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. We can't do everything for everyone. That's not my point. My point is that in this particular passage, 
the miracle was sitting right there in the form of something that everybody else walked right by. And Peter looked at him and he saw something. Instead of a problem in this man, he saw an opportunity. God is an optometrist, guys. He wants to fix the way that you see. You've been asking, will I have what it takes? God is asking, will you use what you've already got? Get a bow, get some arrows. It's right there. I mean, God will hide your provision in plain sight to get you to seek him. You know, sometimes as men, guys, we ask God to give us wisdom, and he hides it in our wives if we'll actually listen to them. Some of you need to hear that. I thought I would get more female support when I said it, but <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> Hidden provision, something that you're walking past, something that you're missing. That's what Elijah was able to do. He was able to see God beneath the surface. God, show me where you're working in this situation. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. I assume you are. I know that you're doing miracles right now as we speak, and I just can't see them, but you're doing them. Well, open my eyes to see the things, God, that are already in progress. God wants to do corrective eye surgery on some of us and cause us to see better. You've been looking at, at situations in your life through the lens of limitation, but today he's saying, I'm going to change your situation. I'm going to remove your spectacles so you can see your situation through the lens of my provision and what I've already given you rather than what you're, you've lost or what you lack. You're looking at it wrong. It's not an old box. It's a, it's a playhouse, in other words. Some of you have been praying for patience. God gave you toddlers. <laughs> he, it's provision in the form of pampers. That, he, you just saw it wrong. I feel this. <laughs> I feel this word. And so... Peter looked at the man, and where others saw an inconvenience, he saw an opportunity. And he looked straight at him, just like in the Old Testament story. Open the window. Open the window. Look straight at the thing, guys, that's in your way. Don't divert your attention. Don't distract to other things. Look at it. See it for what it is, but also see it for what it can be. And then he spoke to it. First he saw it, then he speaks to it. It says, Peter looked at the man, and then Peter told the man, look at us. You see a common theme in this passage? What you're looking at matters. Every good thing in both these stories happened because of perspective, because of how they were seeing things. God is for me, not against me. But you have to see that. You can't just wait for it. You have to see it. And, and the man, by the way, also, the man was expecting something so much less than what God was willing to give. Sometimes we go through life expecting so little from God. And he wants to do so much more than that. And sometimes his provision matches our expectation. Notice what happened. I, I hope I can get through this last two minutes the way that I see it. I'm closing. I really am. I'm closing, kind of, sort of, in my own way. So, see, the man wanted to get something from them, but first he had to give something. So verse 5, the man gave them his attention what if it's not what you're not getting in life that's causing you to live in a state of shortage? What if it's actually that the doors are closed because you're not willing to open them? What if it's what you're not giving that's the problem? And God will test you on this. He will because he does not want you to be dependent on sources of energy and affirmation that do not come straight from his heart. 
He wants you to depend on the things that come straight from Him. And He will let a river dry up so that you will realize that the river was not the thing that was originally quenching your thirst in the first place. It was Him all along. When He gave them His attention, God exceeded their expectations. But first they had to see. And, and so I don't know what you're expecting God to do in this season of your life that He won't do yet. Because usually when we ask God for change, what we really want Him to do is change our situation, not ourselves. But God is in the business of changing us far more than He changes our situation. And through changing us, our situations start to change. And that's the part we miss sometimes. And so, here's an example. Sometimes when I'm up here preaching, I don't feel anything. And then other times when I'm up here preaching, I feel something really powerful. And I used to, because I want to feel something when I'm up here. I, every single time. And I used to think something was wrong when I was standing up here just going through the motions. But God spoke to me very clearly at one point, and he said, Jared, the reason that I don't want you to feel something every time is because I want you to actually be set free from the need to feel it in order to do it. You're not going to feel everything that God asks you to do. You're not going to feel like doing everything he asks you to do, and you're not going to even feel passionate about everything he asks you to do at all times, but you're still asked to do it. And I think that was a big lesson for me. He says, I don't need you to feel, Jared. I need you to preach. That's what I need. It's not about you. And so I don't want you to depend on the feeling of my presence because then when you feel like you're in a place where the emotions of my presence are not coming to you, you still need to acknowledge my presence because it's still there. Sometimes God will bypass what you want to give you what you need. Now to him who will do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine. And we always think of that verse like it's going upward. More than we ask or imagine. So much more. What if he actually wants to take you deeper? Because there's a difference. What if he wants to take, what if it works that way too, that he wants to do a deeper work in you? Like for example, sometimes he says to me, I don't want to just give you people in your life, Jared, to encourage you. I want you to encourage people. And so I've learned how to fight the devil in those battles. Like if nobody sends me a text for weeks to encourage me in anything, I'll pull out my phone and start texting other people encouraging things to them. Because what I'm doing by doing that is I start finding people and encouraging them. And what I'm doing is I'm teaching the devil, don't mess with me because I'll cut off your head with your own sword. You discourage me, I'll encourage them. That's what it means when it says fight evil with good, not respond with the same. You see how that works? It's an it's a amazing thing. And Peter said, I'm not going to give you what you think you need, young man, because I don't have it. I don't have what you think you need. But he does say, as such as I have, though, I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get a bow. Get some arrows. In the name of Jesus. The name above every name. The name that every knee will bow to. Who is this message for? Because God is reaching his hand out to you. Every one of you. Whether you know him or not, he's reaching his hand out to you in some way. But you have to decide to receive it. That's a decision that he actually leaves up to us. And so that's the question is, will you receive it? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, they said, get up and walk. The man wanted a meal. He got a miracle. <laughs> he didn't need a meal. He needed a miracle. To him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more, he will provide. He shall supply, it says, all my needs. The ones I see, the ones I don't see. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. 
and he will supply all my needs. So make him your source. Make him your source. Ask the question, what am I walking past? God's hand cannot bless a clenched fist. But he can do miracles through open hands. Would you lift your hands to the Father right now? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread because we believe that you will feed us exactly what we need for the season that we're in. Pray that after me if you would. Feed me what I need for the season that I'm in. Again, feed me what I need for the season that I'm in.